Namaste. So, um, this is supposed to be a series of class for the newcomers and I must say that we are all newcomers and it's always good to remember in this yoga that we are newcomers. And there are two reasons for it. One is that humility is the one which safeguards us on the journey. The backpack for this yoga, we must backpack, keep certain things. One of them is humility. Second is sincerity, <laughs> vigilance. And one can never have enough of it. Especially as we advance on the yoga, the more humility, is, greater the humility is required. So it's good to remember that one is a newcomer. Also, it makes you feel that uh, you are a child who is always... And child, the beauty of a child is that child is always advancing forward. So, the mother gives this meaning of the stories of Krishna. That you know why he is depicted as a child? Because he is always looking forward and he is always moving forward. So, this attribute of the child that one is always moving forward. There is so much to explore so much more to wonder, so much more to receive. So, um, that's where, uh, you know, true progress begins. Even if one knows any amount, still there is so much more to know. So, newcomer. And the third thing about newcomer is that this yoga goes through, a, like the Vedic Rishis, this goes through a series of ascensions. And the mother has used very interesting words. He says that, Every time you touch a new base, a new core, a new level, there is a reversal of consciousness. So, reversal of consciousness is something like you see the whole thing in a new way. The whole consciousness changes. It's like a new light and a new stairway on which we stand and the whole thing changes. So, in this sense, it is a series of ascensions and a series of reversals and so at each level, each ground, we have to learn a new way to live and be. It's like if we go to the mount, uh, mountain Himalayas, so it's one thing to, the way we live on the foothills, 3000 feet is very different from the way we live at 7000 feet and when we go to 14000 feet, the entire way is different. So this is how the yoga proceeds. So first thing first, we are all newcomers <laughs> at different levels in different degrees. The second is, it's um, the name of the series is the Dream Divine series. And I must say that uh, this is inspired by one of the, you know, when mother was asked who, uh, who is conceived Auroville or whose dream is Auroville and the mother says that Supreme Lord. So, um, we have our own dreams about lives. We have our own ideas about life. And we naturally start with this, that uh, they are true. And it's required at that level, because supposing in the beginning, when we are beginning and we believe it's not true, life will collapse. So, we start with certain ideas about life, certain ways of dealing with life. And uh, many people, of course, remain stuck there. But those who have the urge to progress, they want to go further. They rediscover. One of the great capacities of life is to rediscover and reinvent oneself. That's what one learns from the eagle. So, you know, when eagles grow a little old, so what they do is they isolate themselves, gather themselves inside, shed some of their old wings and then they once again grow new ones. 
And this is a message every year we learn from the trees. So when trees enter autumn, they shed their old leaves. They are as if in an ingathered state. So that in spring they can once again come and fill this earth with, uh, you know, wonder and joy. So um, this idea of the dream divine is that we all have a certain dream. And most of these dreams are very personal. And sometimes these dreams are also related to the larger society in which we live. So we all carry these two dreams simultaneously. One is a dream about ourselves and the second is a dream about what the world should be, the world we inhabit. And as we grow through lives, if we are uh, very fortunate, uh, we don't become cynics. <laughs> I'm putting it in this way. <laughs> Otherwise people readily become cynics, I don't know, very impatient people. Uh, I was reading the other day the, a book called The Utopia That Never Was and I said this person claims to have lived in Auroville but never understood what it's about. <laughs> so, and let me uh, say it in a simple way. Once someone asked me that, you know, uh, I want to be in Ashram or I want to be in Auroville. Uh, so I asked the person, why, why do you want to uh, go there? The person said, well, it's a utopia. I said, yes, but please add three more words, utopia in the making. Uh, okay. <laughs> in the making and then I said and you are a participant in that you know you can't even if there is a real utopia I can assure that if you enter there if we enter there in an unprepared state it will not be a utopia for us and I give the example of this little story by Sri Ramakrishna Paravans in his own uh, andaz uh, in his own way that uh, once uh, some fisher women you know they were caught uh, it was late evening and it started pouring. So they didn't know what to do, where to go. So they went and knocked at a flower vendor's merchant's door. So he opened the door. Yes, what do you need? Say, we just need shelter for the night. Sure, I have my this flowers are kept here. You can just uh, relax, stay for the night and then tomorrow morning, maybe have a breakfast and go away. <laughs> so... Uh, next day morning he asked them, so I hope you were comfortable. They said, no, not at all. Why? Because we are not accustomed to the smell of flowers. We are accustomed to the smell of fish. So, <laughs> uh, fish may smell nicely, I am not uh, challenging that part. It depends on <laughs> what we... But this conditioning and habit of the mind to live in a certain way, to look at life in a certain way, to be in a certain way, all this gets challenged in a collective living. See, the first challenge we meet in a collective life is that individually, in my house, I can organize my house the way I want to organize my house. I can be dressed or undressed the way I want to be. But when I live in a collective life, everything from the basics, food, everything tends to change. It's a big challenge. So whenever people have tried to organize collective life, they have done it in certain ways. And uh, one of the ways is that there are some external rules and regulations. These are the rules according to which you have to live. So people find, of course, uh, how to bypass these rules, but that's a different story altogether. But most people reasonably conform to those rules. Okay, fine, we'll uh, have these rules and we'll live according to that. So they feel very comfortable, they dress in a certain way and they are the norms and they, uh, they have certain regulations according to which they live 
and collective life grows or remains static depending upon but individuals within that grow now mother took the challenge to another level <laughs> so what is the challenge to another level she said no rules so <laughs> in the ashram context <laughs> the only rule that was given by shurabindo not even as a rule it's part of a letter which people started putting as a rule one rule i will uh, say for you live always as if under the eye of the divine mother do nothing try to think and feel nothing that would not be worthy of the divine presence now wonderful rule and everybody will say yes yes this is nice and do everything which is just the opposite because you know <laughs> one way to look at the eye of the divine mother that is say very magnanimous generous eye so everything is fine <laughs> another way is that well people put their own interpretation mother will get angry if you do this mother will not be angry if you do this she will be pleased so make another folly so to live always with the presence of the divine mother is the only rule that shurabindo gave much later in the 60s when mother was said asked mother this is very difficult to you know some rules should be there at least so she wrote these four rules and the rules if you see are most of it is common sense rule 1 no smoking rule 2 no drinking which includes drugs rule 3 no politics rule 4 was no sexual intercourse but she knew she understood human nature and the rules were meant with a certain idea and purpose so she explains why these rules are there obviously smoking and drinking tends to disturb your state of the brain and how and drugs of course and how is one to really lead a uh, forget about spiritual life even a deeply a human life in the true sense uh, if one is addicted to certain things and who will know who can get addicted politics of course um, ashwinder has said he wants politics to be of a very high order and in one of the places the mother says shurabindo deeply loved his motherland but he withdrew from politics because uh, neither india nor the world is ready for the kind of politics that he wanted and he speaks of that this is politics based on dharma dharma not just dharma as religion but dharma as the truth inside so where is truth in politics it mixes very badly so that's why he had withdrawn for the world to be ready for the true politics and sexual intercourse because one is of the you know people get married then they have children so it creates challenges and difficulties in life and of course it can sometimes disturb the atmosphere if there is too much of certain activities so this was the reason but none of these were regarded as absolute rules there were people within the ashram i must tell you that who used to ask the mother for uh, money for the cigarettes and the mother would not give money but give cigarettes so there were people dara was one of them there were others there were people who would ask for you know um, uh, mother knew that he drinks and she would be someone asked her that why are you um, keeping such a person and she said you don't know if he went to the himalayas he would be a great yogi but he is here so he has taken the this problem upon himself now mother could say it but there will be hundred will justify saying that i am the one who is taking this problem upon myself but nevertheless it shows that there is a deeper dimension to this yoga than what appears on the surface 
If you go to the ashram, for example, and the same applies to Auroville, but Auroville is still okay, it's a township. But if you go to ashram and you want to meet an ashramite and you are looking for one, you will never find with the dress. There is no external marker. There is no formal dress. But many collectivities which are formed around religions, so they are um, created by some kind of formal, you know, like, you know, now... Uh, sick later on, so much of uh, row is taking place, you should dress in this way, you should do this, or you go to a typical ashram, the uh, Brahma, I went recently to one, uh, one of the gurukuls, and you know the brahmacharis are supposed to be wearing uh, a dhoti and, you know, dhoti around there, this thing, looks very nice, but they're the same people. <laughs> so, when the meal was served, I just said, it's really very well made. So he was very happy and the lady who was there was one of the trustees said, very nice, you said, we must tell them, they feel enthused about it. So that's about it, it's like anywhere else, you tell that meal is very well made and the person is very happy about it. So an external marker, the big problem is, it conceals a lot of things which are going on inside. So these collectivities give a very neat facade, like a house which may look very nice, fabulous from the surface and the walls, but if we go inside, the husband and wife are fighting and uh, until the bell rings, so when the doorbell rings, then both of them, please come, ah, so such a nice couple, they go back very happily. <laughs> this is a delusion, this is a kind of, uh, you know, a state in which we live. It's, it's a kind of uh, deception in which we live. And we deceive ourselves so often that we begin to believe in it. So mother doesn't want deception. She wants, she doesn't want hypocrisy, she wants truth. So she has taken a, removed that possibility. So okay, in inner life, another kind of collectivities are where we have certain common beliefs. Common beliefs are there in, let's say you follow a Sikh Sangat or a Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, you have to believe uh, that, you know, Allah is the only one, not only the greatest, or you follow another kind of doctrine. So you have to believe that this, you can't afford to question, challenge. And I was reading something very interesting today, um, I mean, I have read it earlier, where he describes Sri Krishna as a friend. There are several aspects of Krishna, one of them is a friend. He says, and you know what is the beauty of a friend? He says, with a friend you can, you can question him. <laughs> you, you, you don't tell a friend, friend doesn't tell you, you better believe me, otherwise you will be condemned. A friend doesn't say that, isn't it? We can question a friend. We can sometimes say, I don't think your uh, action was uh, right. And the friend will not be angry with you. He will try to explain or if he cannot explain, he will keep quiet. People ask, used to ask mother. Uh, sometimes someone said, mother, I know you are divine, but this is a mistake. Close confidant of the mother. And mother just smiled. She didn't answer. So, that is so, that belief systems in which there is a fixed format even in our relation with God, even in our basic way of life, she removed even that. So, you can imagine. So, we can approach in 100,000 ways. But what she is doing? She is trying to bring out the truth of each individual. That's what we, you see, Swami Vivekananda once said in a very inspired moment that the true ideal age will dawn when each person will have his own religion.
By religion he meant his own approach towards truth, towards the divine. Now, this creates a tremendous problem in a collective life. Each person will have his own approach. And if we look at it, it this is exactly one of the tenets of Sanatan Dharma. Ekam sad vipra vadanti. There is one divine, the wise call by different names, they approach by different names. So it already that ground, that psychological ground that begins to crumble. So then where is that common ground in which we have to unite? There can be no collectivity this way. Each one will be a law unto himself. So here we bring in a very interesting vision of the mother, which is in uh, 1957, soon after the supramental manifestation. She describes this vision. I think it's in volume 9, great detail. She, she sees that there is a hotel. And in this hotel, there is a room reserved for a old lady and her daughter. So there is a mother and daughter. And um, this hotel looks very nice on the outside, but so many things inside are being demolished and constructed, demolished and constructed, demolished and constructed. Constantly it is going on and it's going on in such a way that if one was to step out even of one's own room and move into the hotel, there was a risk that you can't find back your own room. This was the state of affairs. And this daughter, this, this mother, she, she wants it to continue this way. Demolish and rebuild. And the daughter, she somehow can be in the room and has this ability to be in every room. And yet at some point, they both step out to see what is happening after all. And after going around places, they can't come back. So they don't know where is, the, where is their rooms. So suddenly they happen to, by chance, hit upon a manager's desk, administrator. So they ask the administrator, I have uh, lost <laughs> the keys and the passage to my room. Can you take me there? And the manager says, yes, of course. So he takes the keys, bunch, and they follow. And as they follow, again they go through strange passages. I'm sure many of us have seen such things in dreams and visions and now the meaning is. So they go through, they try to find but they can't figure out till suddenly the daughter finds that the manager and the mother disappears, vanishes. And along with that all this construction seems to vanish. So the mother gives the key. So the hotel, big hotel is of course collective, any collective life. Uh, and the old lady, the mother is the old consciousness, the mental consciousness. And the old consciousness, old way of life has always been to destroy and rebuild. See, this is the challenge to destroy, to demolish and build. This is how we standard do, I think all the builders do like that and uh, because it's far easier. I mean, I take the example of a couple, you are not getting along well, just separate, let's get along somewhere. I mean, it's not about being right or wrong, it just, this is the way the mind operates. Friends, they can't get along well for whatever reason, temperamental differences. Let's leave, let's find another friend.
they go their way, isn't it? This is the old way of doing. But then the mother says, and the manager is the mind. It believes it can find the way to organize it, but it cannot find the way. It doesn't have the key. And then the daughter is the new creation. She doesn't want it this way. She wants a superstructure. Now in this superstructure, meaning thereby, there is something towards which the entire collectivity is striving and in that process they rebuild. You know, it's something like that she, she spoke about Auroville as the Tower of Babel in reverse. So we know the story of Tower of Babel, I think last time also I spoke about it, where people want to build a tower from, it's a biblical story from here to heaven. And as they are trying to build the tower, the devil gets a wind of it. Before human beings realize, the devil has the wind of it. Oh, utopia is being built, okay. <laughs> and he enters. And how he enters, this is very interesting. Shavinda says, what has happened to religious religions? He says that um, there is an entry donning the formal garb of the religion to which you believe you belong or you claim you belong. But it is done to destroy it. It's like entering the enemy camp, behaving as if you belong to them and then you destroy it from within. So, she, Sri Aurobindo speaks of that. And this, this is what has been happening so far, that there is this demolition and continuation, the mind tries and tries. So in Tower of Babel also, the devil comes and what does the devil do? Very simply, he creates a confusion in the mind so that the speech, what one person speaks, the other does not understand. That person gives his own, it's very common human relationship is every day, you say one thing and the other person fills in gaps, adds one's own understanding and meaning. Oh, you mean, you mean this? No, this is not what I mean. And see how confusion, speech which is meant to be a bridge to connect, speech becomes a, uh, like a bomb to destroy the bridges. It is unfortunate. But it is true. So this is the Tower of Babel. They start fighting with each other. So if one person says, you know, pass the brick, the other person thinks he's, he's meaning to hit the brick on my head. So when he throws the brick so that he catches it, he thinks he's going to harm me. So with all these suspicion, fears come up and then the tower is never built. Why? Because the secret of building the tower is not from ground above. See, that's what the Gita puts it. Ashwat tree. The secret, as Shubhinda says in a beautiful aphorism, the secret of the lotus is not to be found by analyzing the contents of the mud. This is what the mind tries. The secret of the lotus has to be found in the heavenly lotus that blooms above. And earth is trying to reproduce that archetype. So if we want the secret, the secret has to be found above. It cannot be found here with all our mental thought, analysis of events, circumstances, outer things. We cannot find situations. We are changing situations, one situation to another. Very often as a psychiatrist, people come to me and they, they have issues and problems. And they are analyzing the situation, blaming the other person, complaining to the other person. 
But that's not how things can be. We will never know it. So here instead, the thing is replaced by a constant inner shifting of material. This is the inner construction which is going on. Constantly things are shifting inside. And the greater the pace of progress, the more they shift. And sometimes the shift can be tremendous. But this shifting that goes on inside, and we don't know then what to hold on to, that's where we have to discover the true core. And the true core is neither belief, nor ideology, nor a religious doctrine, nor a dogma, nor an external way of life. The true core is either deep within the psychic being, the soul, and above the supramental. And uh, because the psychic seems not abstract, but little more difficult, though it's the easiest thing to find, and the supramental seems like a far of abstraction, though it is the only thing which is everywhere. <laughs> it is the omnipresent, uh, omniscient, omnipotent reality. So there is the mother, to make it easy. You want to find the psychic being open to the mother. You want to find the supramental or be open to the supramental light consciousness, open to the mother. So what does she do? Now you see the ground which is being developed. This ground is so important. Many people, even they get drawn, let's say, to a place like Auroville, are drawn by the charter. But who gave the charter? You have to connect with that. Because charter can be understood, misunderstood in different ways by the human mind. Everything can be misunderstood. But the core and center is the mother. That's when we go back to the fundamentals of yoga. And I think this is something we tend to forget over a period of time. And that's where the problem comes. Every time challenge comes, we have to just keep opening to her, referring to her. There's, there's some very interesting, I'll first share a routine of the ashram life, how it used to be and what it meant. That's why she said, Matri Mandir is the soul of Auroville. So in the ashram context, the life began with 6 o'clock morning balcony darshan of the mother. Then there was vegetable darshan of the mother. Then, <laughs> then there was, even the animals were brought to the mother. And then mother would take a terrace walk, then people would go, terrace darshan of the mother. And then, you know, the routine would go on, centered around the mother, playground mother. Now, if you really look at it, what, what really she is tuning us to, to be centered around the mother. When Nalinida once asked Shurabindo, what is the secret of collective harmony? Shurabindo's one line reply was, union in the mother. And that is the state towards which man has to evolve, where everything gets more and more centered in her to start with and joined in her. So that whatever be our outer differences, there will be differences. In fact, differences are not a cause of problem. This is not an artificial collectivity where you iron out differences by, you know, some kind of a rod and stick. But there is to be an appeal to, to this central, liberating, transforming something which we know as the mother. And if we look at again the ashram life, I can, I remember at least there are three people whom we all, uh, I won't name. 
and they fought with each other so much they couldn't see each other eye to eye but all three were very close to the mother if they were left on the road they may have actually punched each other but each one was close to the mother in their own way and she nourished and nurtured them and it's something very beautiful when i in in the ashram context when i visit the ashram it is so nice to see people with whom sometimes you feel oh this person he said this and he did this and you see they are all coming around the samadhi i have shared this story so many times one drunkard whom with whom i had a little tiff because he came to the ashram in a drunk state in the samadhi not to the ashram and then uh, one day i saw him near the samadhi and said so oh this is so nice and i asked him one day and he entered and i said um, see you know what after seeing you near the samadhi i felt so happy i just shared with him because there was a long tiff going on that's a different story uh, he would threaten me so many times but that day he had a different change it was not because of him because i had changed inside i know that so that was the one and only day i said you know i want to tell you something i saw you near the samadhi and i felt very nice i felt you have love for the mother and he said i also want to tell you something he didn't want any more tiff with me and then he says something very interesting what else is there to love who else is there to love so i said my god all this while i was focusing on the differences and there was a very strong difference i came from a typical i don't know many people would connect or not it orthodox traditional brahmin background where you know to talk about alcohol was blasphemy cut <laughs> you can't imagine that first time when i smoked and by chance it so happened that my sister came accidentally <laughs> to give me a surprise and i was surprised because i had a cigarette in my hand and literally like old time you throw it away and you just stand and she says what you were smoking <laughs> i said i was caught literally unaware and then i got the first lesson on of yoga that you can be caught unawares nothing can remain hidden this is the beauty of this place nothing can remain hidden why because you have to confront it if you have problems with people we have problems of course we have problems so you have to confront it not confront them see this is what we have been doing all i have a problem with you i don't like this in you so the other person says i don't like this about you fair enough <laughs> who is right okay let's separate this is the old creation so easy to do it doesn't require any big effort to do that but when i have a problem with people i look inside and i see what's my problem so many times i have made my own discoveries i am sure everybody will make their own discovery in a relationship i have discovered that my love in my heart is not yet powerful and adequate and i have um, you know mother speaks about it that every time i see one of my children she says i hold myself responsible even for those who have revolted and gone away at another time i have discovered that i am still attached to something a way of life say in a workplace 
you feel the work should be done in a certain way and of course you are right we are all right <laughs> it's like you know it's not about right and wrong all of us are right <laughs> so uh, in the beginning you start should be done this way it should be done that way and when people don't listen to you the normal tendency is oh they don't understand you stand on a pedestal they don't know ignorant fellows and god smiles and if next time we say the same thing he laughs hearty laugh full look inside <laughs> so and then you discover you are attached to a way things should be done and you believe that's the only way it should be done maybe there are other ways it could be done maybe nobody knows the way so many times one has to admit we don't know it's much better than to believe that by the mind i can solve a problem so when i say that i don't know i want to find the way this is the beauty of this place or you know the community communities that are developing around the mother and shirbindo you know the entry point of this yoga so there are two things one is the negative one is the positive the negative side is as the mother says when you have known this much that whatever mental ways you can build this world create this world it cannot be the thing that it cannot build perfection once you realize the limitations of the human mind then one is ready to go beyond the mind this limitation can come either by experience past life whatever it can dawn in aha moment because you see you don't have to actually experience everything and everybody you look around the world and you discover that the mind is inadequate incapable that's how she says psychic discovery the mind is incapable of judging spiritual things so this is the negative part where we realize that the mind cannot solve the problem that the mind has made monkeys cannot solve the problem that are due to the monkey hood monkey has to change into man ki and man ki has to change into man <laughs> to solve the problem of the monkey world and for them there is help rama comes and the monkey is joined together and they are humanized so this is how the story goes so the positive side is not to if we have this idea mind cannot solve then we can become agnostics we can become cynics we can be depressed many people become depressed when they look at this state of affairs oh look at this ukraine war look at you know this war look at this happening so they become cynics they understand somewhere that human beings are a problem it's not that human beings have a problem we are at least part of the problem <laughs> so but instead of becoming a cynic instead of despairing instead of becoming pessimistic well this creation has emerged out of something tremendous powerful greater consciousness a truth a reality a truth occult has made this world that's how shivendra reveals in savitri a mystic slow transfiguration work there is a power which is at work in creation which has taken our journey from dust to man let me try to surrender all my ignorance and knowledge at the feet of that because my mind cannot solve the problem it can multiply see all over wherever mind is tried and we are reaching those limits in every field in, in the field of physics which is the hardcore 
mind has reached a point where it doesn't know how far to dig for the infinitesimal. It has reached a point where it doesn't know whether consciousness is or is not. It has reached a point where it doesn't know whether electron makes a choice or it does, it's driven mechanically, whether it's a wave or a particle. In the field of biology, we have reached a point, we know genes are determining things, but how are they determining? Where is the switch? How does it all happen automatically? We don't know. And the doctors, all good doctors, sensible doctors know that they can give the medicine, healing is always the grace. So there comes a point where we realize that, I mean, medicine has popularized the natural healing capacity of a human being. So we have reached a point in every field, in psychology. You know, there are people who have written, I don't want to name again, whose book once became very famous, that, you know, methods of mind control, and the person died depressed, committing suicide. This is the strange irony. The day the mind realizes that this is not enough, there is something greater, higher, truer. And Shubhinder takes this truer through levels and levels of ascending spiritualized mind towards the supermind. So we come back to the same point. The mind must learn to abdicate and surrender itself to the Divine Mother. Collectively, it won't happen immediately. Then we'll be like that there are ladies who come with their children at the samadhi and if the child is playful, she will catch the head of the child. I don't know, some of us must have witnessed it. Forcibly put it on the samadhi. Almost looks like he's banging the head. And the child is suddenly wondering, what has happened? What did I do wrong? He was connecting with the mother in his own way, beautifully. Or in the dining room, if he doesn't like the food, they want to force, this is prasad, you must have it. True, it's prasad, but the child is, is not there yet. So, there is, it cannot be done by any kind of external imposition. So, how can it be done? We come back to the same point. Shubhinder, the mother, gave this wonderful key. Before we have a Gnostic collectivity, which is what we are speaking about, we must have Gnostic individuals. So the individual yoga must proceed before we can, at our present level, talk about all suddenly collectivity joining and it becoming a collective yoga. So individuals must progress. But since there is also the collective ground necessary, because there is an interdependence, individuals are not cut off from these. Even if one seeks moksha, liberation, sannyasis knew this, that's why they wanted to withdraw, because they knew that if they live in the world, it will be very difficult to even practice liberation cutting off from the world. Very difficult. Sanyas knew that. Yet it can be done. It's not that you know, the Gita gives us the royal road toward becoming a Jeevan Mukta. But it's not easy. So collectivity has an influence on the individual. It will pull you. It will drag you. You are living in a world and so there will be 101 things. So that solution is not a solution where one cuts off from the world. So the mother says we must work on two levels. Individually we must progress and also we must share this with the world or the collectivity at large. 
And I suppose these kind of meetings are like that yajna. That's what it used to be in ancient times. The idea of yajna, where the purohit came, the rishi who had already realized things, he would come with a batch of rishis who were uprishis, and they would come together, and there would be a central fire in which they would put the ahuti, and the everybody then gets the prasad. So the second idea is, and that's why the mother had started collective meditations in the ashram context, so that people can meet in a common ground. Debates and discussions are the ways of the old consciousness, but meditation and maybe coming out with uh, some kind of whatever as an offering, a thought, an idea, with utmost goodwill, is. the way of the new consciousness and there she says what we should do in these collective meditations we should go deep inside try to connect with the core and take all that is contrary within yourself when shubindu describes this um, gnostic being in in savitri in the life divine in the last chapter he says that who is a gnostic being one who carries everybody within oneself and this not something physical obviously it's in terms of consciousness there were no contraries no sundered parts here now each lives for himself alone there each lives for god in oneself and god in all so this change of orientation wherein we live for the divine in all and there are very beautiful thing one of the passages of the mother where she speaks about who is our best friend and she says our best friend is not uh, what we normally understand as friend who conforms to our ideas and this and that or we do fun partying he says who is the best friend she says somebody who is with us in our best part but does not want us to be otherwise because he doesn't push pressure that you should change in this way or that way but in the best part one is united so the more we grow and again it will depend upon how many individuals probably there is a tipping point the more each one grows in that direction towards the gnostic uh, being towards discovering one's own truth and taking everybody inside the more the rest of the things will start getting organized automatically as it were and here comes the third and interesting part of collective yoga so obviously everybody will not do it it's understood <laughs> not people will sit and close their eyes maybe sit in padmasana and sit bolt straight 90 degree that is the easier part but the inner chaos continues even if by some means you quieten the inner chaos it resurfaces it doesn't solve much so here shivendra says that each one in this yoga is a representative and the elder brothers bear a greater burden so those who are see so they would be people who are genuinely sincerely trying to pursue the yoga so what will happen is they will take in the difficulties larger share of difficulties of those around so if they win a little victory maybe a small little victory it will help everyone it's like the mouse solving the puzzle morphogenetic resonance
See if the mouse solves the puzzle, one mouse knows how to navigate, it somehow helps all others because of the interconnectedness. But this interconnectedness is not just superficial. So each of us has our own unique problems. In the beginning, before yoga, problems are in another person. But as one begins to take up yoga, one discovers problems are within me. And each of one takes one's own problem. This is my work. This is my office. And the help is there with the Divine Mother and works upon these problems by offering them whatever we are rejecting the draws from them, purifying, all that whole yoga is there. The more we do it, the more we help everyone else because each of us is a representative of a difficulty and a possibility. And if in one person a possibility emerges, it will automatically start getting translated in others. It's a long process. Divine doesn't want to take us those shortcut ways that old nature has been doing. He wants us to take the path, road less traveled. It's a difficult path. Mother and Shubhinda never said it's easy because we have not even touched the dimension of the yoga where forces beyond the human they enter into the play, start pushing human beings, using them as instrument for creating chaos and disorder. That's a different dimension altogether, maybe some other time. But those who are in the yoga itself are like representative of a particular issue in humanity. And if the breakthrough takes place in them, then it helps everyone else. One small little story with which I can stop. And the story is that there was a time in the ashram when they were not, uh, people did not volunteer for cleaning the bathroom. So, ashramites, I mean, you're supposed to do in ashram. At one point, there were no paid workers. Then paid workers came and paid workers came. Now everybody wants to lead a very bourgeois, luxurious style and, you know, so, but that's how it was that, you know, as much as possible, it's a sadhana for each one. So, Ravindraji goes and once complained to the mother, Mother, whenever I ask uh, some young person who comes newly to, this is a work which is needed in the ashram, he says, no, no, I am used to desk and table work, or I have a back pain, or I have uh, this issue, or I come from this caste, hundred reasons why he won't do this work. So mother, I am thinking ultimately I will only take up this work. So mother says, uh, mother smiled and said, okay, you wait for some more time. And then suddenly three people came within a short time who said, we, we want to do only the bathroom cleaning work. So then he went to mother said, Mother, what magic you did? He said, no, I didn't do the magic, you did the magic. So what was the magic? Because within you, you broke this barrier that cleaning the bathroom is something bad or low and you presented yourself that I'll do this work. Therefore, it had a cascading effect and then people who came, they caught that idea and they started offering for this work. So it is this inner barriers that we have to break if we want to create a ground of unity and 
breaking these inner barriers can be very superficially it's not a public place breaking barrier let's have party but breaking barriers where it truly exists in a hard way and that is the ego and that's why the mother says tell your ego your hour is gone it is the time to be heroic and heroism is not what people think it to be heroism is to tell your ego that your hour is gone so this is the great task before all of us and each has to figure out his own way new creation is yet in the making so we cannot say there is one standardized way of doing it the moment we do it we'll make it a religion which is what she doesn't want so each one has to find how to break the barrier of the ego and how to find that ground where all of us are together as children of the divine mother and the simplest of ways which i can share what i have understood from mother and shubhendra is right writing is the simplest of ways of breaking this barrier of the ego and finding that common ground is to surrender oneself more and more progressively thoughts feelings will impulsions activities experiences all good and bad right down to the body to the mother surrender to the divine and infinite mother is the beginning of the yoga surrender to the divine and infinite mother as we move is the path of yoga and surrender to the divine and infinite mother is the ultimate goal of yoga as shubhendra says these four lines from savitri this light comes not by struggle or by thought in the minds silence the transcendent acts and the hushed heart hears the unuttered word he vast surrender was his only strength so this is of course um, i don't know just uh, any questions i'll be very happy to take up is or will uh from my uh, understanding i can respond to that and my understanding is based on uh, looking back at oroville from the time of its inception uh, having met many of those who were involved in uh, laying the first bricks of oroville meeting them they i mean i didn't do it as an interview but all of them somehow came in contact they grew fond of me and i used to share a lot of things and the way it has grown up i would say without a doubt oroville is not only spiritual enough it is moving towards um, greater and greater understanding of spirituality uh, having said that uh, we have to uh, i mean the even the idea of spirituality has to change spirituality is to connect with that truth within us and above us and um, i'll give you one example of how it can be Uh, conceived so i know of a, uh, a boy five year old boy and he entered a meditation room and in the meditation room he was he was very fond of football <laughs> still is fond of football 
so he he bought a ball and started doing dab 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 and people around all of us serious people ha huh? how can you do that so there was mother and shubhendu's picture there he looks says you know this <laughs> my way of connecting <laughs> with the mother now you know five year old boy doesn't fabricate things it is spontaneous deeper truth which came and till today he connects to the mother through football now you know <laughs> this is so strange now we there are many even in spirituality why cults and sects were formed were because at one point we standardized a path a way a typical idea of spiritual life for example is that how many hours we meditate people used to ask Uh, they used to ask me in, in i was in air force bangalore so they would oh you are going to do yoga uh, okay so now they expect yoga means uh, i am doing some sirsasan so <laughs> i can only do sukhasan with ease <laughs> so they have this idea that yoga because we have specialized the path and something very interesting shubhendu says in the very first page of synthesis of yoga he says that while specialization has its advantages but it narrows down things clamps down things so this is why my personal take is that you know patanjali's yoga sutras have never been my favorite because i always felt it is sticking things in a certain direction but the gita is so wonderful it opens the door so wide and that is the basis where and that's why the mother spoke of karma karma is yoga because karma is everywhere in everything even sleeping is a karma choice is a karma a kind of thought that i have is a karma a feeling that is inside me is a karma i can release this feeling or hold it back choose another change it play with it i love to play with this uh, you know inner feelings and thoughts as they arise sometimes you act under them then you understand that well this this thought took took the form of speech this not how it should be so this inner shifting that goes on if we take that as spiritual then i do um, believe um, and believe is based on also my interaction that there are sufficient number of people in norville very deeply spiritual not just spiritual very deeply spiritual and uh, one orville is hope because of that but also orville is hope because it's the project of the divine so one thing i know that regardless of whatever human mind can conceive after all i ask people sometimes very simple question with regard to utopia you know people ask so i ask them that look here you know we are judging orville last some big things uh, how are you doing in your home everything is okay so ask them are you sure <laughs> so you see mind human mind cannot handle even a small place like home you know your children don't listen to uh, don't do the, the way you expect them to do and uh, your wife uh, obviously has her own rights and then you realize i also want to be a free bird but there is a home a ragtag home where people have meals together now it gives the semblance of very nice that nicety one will not probably find here if you go to the even ashram sometimes you'll see people who are very brusque at times and even in noroville i don't know uh, people have been very nice but they can be very brusque so that's because the facade of civilization which you know uh, we carry in the outside world that is uh, taken off so in outside we we remain very good we we better smile and say nicely because uh, otherwise we may lose a job or uh, so this what we learn 
the, to wear a mask. Uh, but in home we are very different. So this is taken off. So I suppose that way uh, to look at Auroville and uh, uh, Ashram and Shobindo collectivities, we have to actually enter into its heart. When we speak to people, we have to speak to them about this inner... I have seen people outwardly very unhappy over something like, what was the food? And uh, just to change the whole subject, I asked them, Acha, you have seen the mother? Oh, yes. And then you say, so what was it like? And you see they are like blooming. Food has gone. God knows where. And then the person doesn't remember and I am happy. <laughs> I have namaste. And <laughs> so this ground is intact. This ground will always be intact. This ground which has drawn people. After all, one thing is for sure that, you know, if I look at just some of us sampled humanities and uh, many more, I'm sure. Why did we come uh, in some, at some level from our comfort zones? All of us. I mean, I, I was in the Indian Air Force. I would have become a general by now, a big doctor somewhere in big hospital. No. You leave that life because you know it's inadequate, because you are moved by some kind of an idealism. That never dies. It can be covered temporarily, permanently, but it returns back. Primeval longings. So that is what we have to rekindle individually and collectively to remind ourselves why we are here. And I think that's where lies also the key to the problem, that to keep reminding ourselves why we are here, uh, what for we came, there is the key. I am anyways a very die-hard optimist because I believe God is in the world and this is a divine project. This can never fail. I even believe that world cannot fail. Forget about Toroville. <laughs> because divine is inside. So people speak about pralaya and all this. I said, yes, that is a process. <laughs> That's not the end. <laughs> That's the beauty of Indian thought. Pralaya is not an end. Pralaya is a new beginning. And each new beginning is one step higher. I'm a diehard fan of this statement of uh, Thomas Alva Edison that you fail 99 times, yes, it's a 100-step procedure, 99 times there are approximations. So there will be many approximations, many approximations. This is an aphorism of Shri the way he says, many approximations justify the aim. They don't cancel it, they justify it. So each of us will uh, try in our own way. Today, I was just sharing one of the challenges with uh, one of the ashram hmm. sadhak, sadhikas <laughs> that, you know, should one do it like this, should one do it like this. Sometimes I feel, you know, what about detaching from the whole world, this, that. So, such a beautiful intuitive answer came. We should try this way, that way. If this doesn't work, maybe another way. One day we'll find the way. <laughs> I said, this is wonderful. This is a good take-home point. So, only thing is we should never give up. Because pessimism is the tale of the devil. Even on the deathbed, one should never give up. Because those who give up, they die. Even if they are alive. And never exchange the birthright for a pot of porridge. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> the story of Issue and Jacob. It is difficult, but this is what we will continue doing. For a pot of porridge, I mean, after living few years, some people get disenchanted, disillusioned, and there's a good offer outside. And then they start thinking, maybe, after all, 
Maybe I made a mistake. That's better out there. So this is the story of Ishu and Jacob where a hungry person gave his birthright for a pot of porridge. I am sure everybody knows that story. Mother spoke of this story and said, this should never be done. You have chosen something, go through to the end, whatever happens. Even if in a life, there is a poem of Shurabindo, Meditations of Mandavya, where he says, I have a thirst and the thirst presupposes water somewhere. But in this life I may never find, old nature sits a phantom on the way. Old habits, tie me back, pull me back or tie me down. Yet, I shall persist, O Lord, I have a thirst. And the thirst says there is water somewhere. So with this faith we must walk. Every time these things come, they come inevitably, everywhere they come. We should remind ourselves, rekindle this fire of aspiration and faith and know that this does not depend upon me but on the Divine. And to keep reorienting myself to the Divine Mother. One small last little story, sorry, I like Bhandara, it opens. So once a lady, she was suffering from blood cancer in the ashram context. I can see the name, Gyan Ben, some of us may know. Uh, Miradi's sister, Mira Gupta's sister eldest sister. So once a group of students went to her to meet her, I was the one who was taking them and uh, I said, why don't you meet? And uh, so they asked, Ki, what do you do here? So she said something very interesting. She's a lady on deathbed huh, with blood cancer. She said, she said in Hindi, a, what a flavor. She said, Bahut saral hai, very simple. Whenever we have a cloud or a difficulty, we go to the samadhi and pray and give it to the mother. When we are happy, we go and pray to the mother. Both ways, we express our gratitude to the mother. This was a lady who, she knew there is no treatment. She died in two weeks time of this statement, was in such a state of inner joy. So this capacity, I think, of reconnecting with the mother, Whatever may happen. And to always keep this flame of aspiration and faith. To bounce back. Thousand times if necessary. Yesterday I was reading this thought and aphorism where Shubhinda says, Mother says, even if you do it wrong ten times, hundred times, you should be ready to start it again. Victory comes to the most persevering and endurance is the watchword of the yoga.